Welcome to Never Go Full Nelson. Um, this is yeah, this is Nick Nelson, one of your co-hosts, as usual, joined by my father, Ben Nelson. Hey, what's up? This is uh, season three, episode six. Damn, we're just crunching these out this year. Six. Like this is like uh, this is like work, except it's fun. Wow, that's weird. I mean, that's what that's what you're supposed to do, you know. They always say, you know what, you know, if your job is what you do for all the time for fun. Then you'll never work a day in your life, right? That's what they say until until you get like, and then those like expectations that go along with it, and then it becomes work. I think. Well, they're lying pieces of shit. They are. <laughs> That's just the way it is. They say that shit to keep you fucking working. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay, like, yeah, yeah, you like it? You like doing that? Yeah, do that a lot. <laughs> do it more. <laughs> so we're we're actually in the dark water studios today. Oh yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We're you're in Orlando. It's sweet digs, man. Thanks. It's really Thanks. very professional. You've done a good job with this, man. I appreciate it. We've been working Nicely very done. hard. Proud very of you. Hard. Proud of you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep, and we're in the studio, and then we also have a guest today. Um, I think we just dive in. Let's just dive in, man. Know? So uh, our guest today is Simon Share, right? It's just Share. Share. Sure. 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 Like sure or sure? Sure. Are you sure? <laughs> we're all sure. Damn it. <laughs> so... Um, I, I've actually known known of you for a while. I don't really know you that well personally. We've never like hung out outside of you know the the circle of you know business and all that stuff. And uh, you know you've bought some art for me, and you get tattooed by by some mutual friends and my brother. And then uh, that's kind of, that's how I know you actually. But um, you know I don't think I've ever actually sat down and had like a big conversation with you. So I'm I'm looking forward to this because I see we 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 are friends on Facebook, and you know how it works. You know you got your Facebook friends. And you, you kind of know them because of Facebook and the stuff that they post and everything like that, even even though you don't really hang out outside of Facebook. You right. Know? You get a good sense of what they're doing when they're they're willing to hammer on a keyboard, <laughs> exactly. as opposed to what they are in person, which is, I think, very different things usually. Yeah, but you, you, you need, you, if you're going to tell everybody what, what Simon does for a living, or are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, like, holy how crap. About, how about you talk about what you do for a living? Because I, I can't ever, I can't, I, there's no way I can remember your title. I know that, that uh, we'll go ahead and let you say it. All right. Well, I, I mean, I always describe myself um, as, as an inventor of animation technology. So uh, starting back in the late 90s, uh, my first gig was was doing research and development for Lord of the Rings. Um Moved up to Massachusetts where I worked on the X-Men films and uh, a couple other movies. Um, designing like like the way we animate Mystique scales for the morphs for X-Men 2 is one of the things I did. But I uh, got recruited by EA and uh, in that time, since I, I spent about 18 years there, uh, designed three uh, video game engines. And then uh, kind of uh, I, I left EA back in 18 to start my own company, which was uh, animation technology consulting. Mm-hmm. And then ended up working at uh, Epic Games on Unreal Five. Um, was a consultant on the Matrix Awakens project. Cool. And started consulting for Microsoft at the same time. Uh, I fell in love with the project at Microsoft, which is stated at K three, and mentioned in passing, I think that I would be willing to to come on board full time with XGS and and help them uh, build the animation tech they needed for that uh, title. And uh, I think it was 24 hours later, <laughs> the head of XGS was offering me a studio here in Orlando. Awesome, awesome. And so so, so what, let's explain what that means to, to Susan and Tom at home. Uh, what Build that animation technology. What, what is that for you, the process? Is it really a real technical thing? 
or artistic or a combination of both? Yeah. So my job is primarily empowering the animators to be purely creative, right? to take all of the complexity, take all the vector math re you know, required, take all of the, the, the challenge of sort of mixing and blending animations to be able to do, uh, also to be able to do more with less. So like uh, in a video game, a game feature, you know, you have to account for lots of different scenarios that a, a player could mm -hmm. be doing at any given moment. So how do you account for that without having the animation fall apart? How do you fall, how do you do that without the feet sliding all over the place? How do you have in a Madden game uh, no two tackles that ever look alike? How do you, how do you how do you keep people from walking through the floor? Yeah, <laughs> falling through the floor, bullet yeah. through paper problems with physics. So yeah, so a lot of my work do, touched do you on. Have, uh, you do have a background in physics, right? Uh, I I've I mean I've I've absorbed a ton of physics. I, I never formally studied physics oh, in okay. school, but I mean over the years as a technology as an animation tech designer it's so important to understand physics yeah, so man. i spent a lot of, i did i did minor in mathematics so i have the, the the mental chops to learn it and have over the years learned quite a bit of physics so when you talk about animation i mean a lot, a lot of the old farts like me out there are like oh, oh animation he's drawing things no it's not not quite that right a animation is way more sophisticated than that now right yeah a lot of my a lot of my r&d throughout the years has been centered around motion capture technology so okay. uh they like, wear those silly suits with a little yeah now they're not even silly suits with balls like we have what's called a <laughs> moven mvn link suits and every animator has one so they're just like spandex suits you slip on no wires they just uh oh, wow. they remote connect to your computer and you can capture very high-end Data. We use it more as a um, one of the other things I'd, I've done over the years is design tech for actually manipulating the mocap data to get the kind of superhuman performances that you want. So uh, working on originally a tool called Nuance, which was used uh, by the people that made the movie Avatar. Yeah. Um, our our capture system ended up being bought by James Cameron. Um, oh wow! When I worked at Giant Studios, so now it's called Lightstorm Entertainment, um, and Lightstorm is being used to make the new Avatar films. But that all started. Um, you know, it started as a military project, and then uh, Giant Studios was founded to purchase the uh, the rights to use it for entertainment when it was finally ready around '99. See, this this is all blowing my mind because uh, you know, being you know as old as I am, right? You, even you remember, you know, the Pong game. This is where we all started at. Yeah, I know. Pong, a silver little no, ball going I, I heard back and forth, and it seems like yesterday. And I, I was just reading up on. You know, uh, you know, on Simon and a lot of the stuff in the gaming industry right now. By 2024, it's going to be a 220 billion dollar a year. Fuck yeah, that's industry. a lot of fucking money. In it. You know, it's funny you brought up the 80s too. Real quick, we'll get on this point. But I, I, uh, I got some young employees that work here now, and they're all like in their early 20s, and they were talking about the 80s and how like it was like. The technology was, there was no technology is the way to describe it. There was no technology, none. Oh, we That's had technology. Think. I was like, I was like <laughs> we had Walkmans and we had Pong and Nintendo. Nintendo was the gem in the 80s, bro. <laughs> My kids use the term olden days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, the, it's a huge money, money. And oh yeah. I mean, probably more than, I mean, there's got to be more than any other entertainment business and out there, right? Or at least up there it with is. them. No, it, it has surpassed film. Uh, yeah. The profit margins are also much higher in games than they are in films. Um, so, as a as somebody who makes video games, it's it's more profitable than film right now. It's one of the it's one of the largest industries. I gotta ask in entertainment, at least. I'm only asking because this is all I know about. The, now, Neil, my twin brother, you guys you guys know each other pretty good because mm -hmm. he tattoos you and you guys talk a lot. 
he's a different kind of monster than I am. My brother's been into video games since video games were a thing. Uh, me, on the other hand, I'm like, I'll pl- I've been playing Fallout 4 for the last fucking four years now, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I fucking played. And I did Witcher for a little bit. I beat that game. And it would, I got to be really, Skyrim was another, a lot of Bethesda games, obviously. Um, look at me here. I'm bonking now. Bonker. Um, is it anything, because the only thing I know about the gaming industry is the movie Grandma's Boy. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's all God. I fucking know about oh, it. Grandma's Boy and uh, and what was the new one with Ryan Reynolds? Uh, uh, free uh, Guy. Free yeah, guy. Free oh, guy. yeah, Free Guy. The, Which, uh, they kind of pulled a lot from Grandma's Boy, that I kind know. of environment. It's, it's so hilarious to me the way people imagine game companies are. <laughs> and it's, I take it it's nowhere it's, near the truth. Well, I mean, so I had some games. One of my favorite development cycles uh, I worked on was a Marvel game. And it did, that touched on the sort of grandma's boy feeling in that our studio, we we became kind of a rogue studio. We left EA Canada's main campus. We moved out into the middle of nowhere in a small, in a smaller facility. Uh, the We recruited some of the most entertaining people I've ever worked with in my right. life. You know, I, I went through and basically handpicked the, the animation and the animation tech team and you know, we had uh, we had Laura DeYoung, who is a, now the vice president of creative at Riot. Um, you know, making Valorant and and uh, and like Laura was just <laughs> unbelievably brilliant. Um, but also, like when I remember when she started, it was uh, they were like, "Boys, we're gonna have to chill. We're having a we're gonna have a female art director here in a minute. <laughs> we got to chill out. Everyone's got to chill and and be a little bit less uh, crass." And uh, and then Laura showed up, and she was just the, she was the funniest, uh, you know, prankster. She fit into our culture perfectly, and and we it just that studio was so ridiculously fun to work in. You know, Nerf Wars broke out. Yeah. The animation bay had a parachute over it, so we called it the vortex of sarcasm when people walked in. We had a couple guys from Industrial Light and Magic. We had a couple guys from film. We had a couple guys from games, but. The closest to the culture that you see in in um, in uh, the the free guy that, okay. was, that was the closest I've ever seen it. But normally, you know, it's very business like. Yeah, you know, I mean, they well, you're try talking about two hundred billion dollars. I'm sure it is very yeah. business. Yeah, get that well, uh, you know, the, one of the things I loved about about uh, about Microsoft is that they they're very into their branding. Yeah. So what we have, like with State of Decay, you know, like you walk in and it's it, the building in Seattle is kind of like it, it feels post-apocalyptic. It's got artwork all over the walls. They want people to be inspired. Yeah. So it's actually like even probably more so inspiring environments. Um, you know, EA, uh, EA San Francisco, you walk in and there's a freaking Titanfall Titan that's like robotic and semi-functional in the lobby. You go to Bioware and you've got full size statues of of uh, of uh, of Revan and um, and Malik in the in the lobby and yeah, that's cool. Real Star Wars artwork all the way down the walls and yeah, it's did, really cool. Did you, Dad? Did you? Oh, go ahead. Did you have no, no. I'm I'm just looking at the the um, the online gaming. I mean, it it has become such a big thing. I mean, this is bringing all these technologies together. It's bringing the movie industry bringing art together, it's bringing the, the, the internet and technology, it's bringing the online wireless technologies together, Bluetooth technologies together. Everything is just melding together in one. Uh, and I, I don't participate in the, I kind of like, I'm one of these persons, and I think that they, they 
from what I'm, you know, reading about that it splits up between some people play online. Some people are like solitary players. They don't want to do that. They just, they just want the other experience. Uh, but my daughter, Megan and Sean, they're online gamers. And that's a rough and tumble freaking atmosphere there. And you were talking about the sarcasm and everything like this. And when it comes to some of the, some of the, you know, people talking together and stuff like that, tell me a little about, about your experience on that. That can yeah. be kind of tough, right? So, uh, I was a competitive uh, gamer if, way back in the day. I was on a clan. I was in a clan, um, clan yeah. playing uh, Quake Two and then Unreal Tournament, and was a pretty competitive gamer back then. And today, I just get smoked. I can't do it. There, My, there's no way. The, the second some twelve year old drops an N bomb on me, I'm just like, "Fuck this! I quit." I'm done. <laughs> I yeah. got so. What's interesting is my son. Uh, so you know, esports is becoming a huge thing. Like professionals playing games. Uh, you know, Valorant. I think the prize money for the year is over ten million dollars for these guys who are playing professionally. The um, my son is at the Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting. I was going to say he, to become he's, a, he's an excellent uh, broadcasting voice. I mean, yeah, ever since he was like fifteen, sixteen, he's like, had a man's voice. It was yeah. just like, oh, uh, uh, uh. he's like he's got a very strong voice. He's he's going to do really good at it. And the, yeah, the way my parents raised me was figure out what your kids love to do and then give them all the tools they need to explore it. So I was animating clay when I was ten. Mm-hmm. My son was on YouTube doing um, doing Minecraft tutorials when he was like eight. He had an anime YouTube channel when he was twelve. Started making a couple thousand dollars a month. As a twelve-year-old, oh, wow. in ad wow. revenue and sponsor and sponsored content, and uh, at one point he was, uh, if you searched for uh, fairy tale, the the anime that his channel was about, he showed up above the actual show in Google um, because he had a, a one of the most visited sites for that specific show, That's and awesome. it was amazing. But he was like 12, 13, 14. and then he started an, an NFL channel, and that went through the roof again. So by the time he was 18, he was again collecting paychecks for, for doing uh, an NFL uh, sports channel. He's amazing to me. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk about him the whole time, but he's a year in. He just won a scholarship yesterday for his work. Yeah, I saw that on Whoa, Facebook. Nice. For his work casting uh, Valorant, and he was calling a major Valorant tournament last night, and I just love watching him. I mean, it. when I watch him, I actually start to understand the game better. Yeah. And Valorant being such an incredible game, it's like his dream job to be calling Valorant. He's very quickly becoming sort of the voice of Valorant. And Fuck um, yeah, that's awesome, dude. So, so as a parent, though, I mean, it, it is like what I meant by rough and tumble. It wasn't just as hard to do. The verb verbally, it's there's some toxic shit on there. I mean, I think some people would consider it toxic shit. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, did you have you had to try to kind of you know coach your kids on how to uh, cope with that kind of behavior on on the yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, everybody in the creative field has probably come up dealing with bullying in, a, yeah. in an immense way because I think people in creative fields uh, tend to be different. And that's those are the people that get bullied the most, right? Mm-hmm. Is anybody who stands out gets hammered down. And so I went through that as a kid being a, a dancer, doing martial arts before it was a thing, before it was cool, um, and uh, being a skater during the lull between when Tony Hawk made everybody, you know, skating popular and when, no, when, when the was, X Games started, I, I was a skater in between that area. I have a, my, my old school Vision Street where it's on right now. I mean, that that's when I used to skateboard is when, you know, we're talking 89, 90, 91, maybe. Yeah, that's is about when I those years. I, how old are you? We're probably I'm 45. To, okay, so you're like two years older than me, yeah. So 
Yeah, we were. Th- that was when you know it was. Uh, it wasn't Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk was barely talked about then, and it was, right, it was the X Games where he kind of came back. Yeah, I mean back then. Sorry, guys, table bonking here. Um, what was like? What was some of the big skateboarders? Caballero, Caballero, yeah. Uh, shit, uh, was it Dust? Uh, Dustin? Uh, fuck, I can't remember. what was the? What I was, just worship Caballero. Was, was it McGill? Right, he was like one of the. Well, well, I don't want to be the old poop and about the toxic behavior thing, but what I'm talking about is, you know, the yeah. things that you experienced on there. And you, what'd you say you do? You just drop off, right? Yeah, no, no. I, yeah. They, my my son doesn't even get headphones. My well, son, my nine-year-old son, but, you get no headphones. But I don't want the, you hearing what they're talking about. I don't want you communicating but an, with them. But as an industry, the statistic is, is that two-thirds of the people who go on to play, when they hit that, they drop off. I think it's bad for business. So, I mean, so, so how would you how would you approach that? I mean, do you think that that should be it's just like, it, should of, it be a, a, uh, the Wild West, you say what you want to say? Or do you think the industry is going to go ahead and try to kind of, I won't... I, it's interesting because there's, there's some Twitch gamers that are intensely fun to watch, you know, like Dr. Disrespect, huh? who is a completely, like, the dude is, is nuts. Like, yeah. And he is funny as hell, and he's a massive troll. Um, there's the guys who, uh, oh God, what is his name? I can't remember his name right now, but there's a guy who basically calls out military style, shout, oh. like shouts out military, like pretends that they're really in the military, even though he's playing with like kids who don't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> and he basically just trolls people like that. The, the, <laughs> the interesting thing is I think, I think there's a, there's a convergence on the internet between troll culture. Uh, the kids that are my kids age find it hysterical. They don't, yeah. they, they, it's almost like, um, you know, the, the culture of the more you make fun of somebody, the more you like them, like him and his buddies are, are ripping on each other and they're so witty about it. And there's never any real animosity. Like this generation, this generation supports the trans community. Like, like we, when I was growing up in DC, race wasn't really just the thing. My inner circle was, you know, a black guy, me and Asian and a, and a Latin guy. We were like that my, growing up too. My, my four brother. friends. And we never really even thought that we were a mixed race group. Like it never really was like, oh, we're special. No, we're just but friends. Kids we're are that way friends. about, you know, now today kids are that way about trans kids. They're that way about gay kids. Um, it, it's a, it's an, it's a generation that is the most trolling and rude generation. <laughs> but, also probably the most uh accepting so they kind of know it's part of the game well we've we've talked about that several times on the show when when a lot of people that hang out with my dad and my my brother and my family and us you know we i i guess trolling is a really good way of doing it we we're it's it's (laughs) (laughs) if you didn't know us we we'd look like we bullied everybody that hung around us and you know it's not that we're bullies but we we find humor and it's like it's like when when a comedian goes on stage and starts playing the crowd you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's you 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 it's an environment that our family's always kind of had and sometimes you take it personally sometimes most times you don't you know we're just you know and then we've always talked about you know like oh shit you know uh, you know, we can always tell by somebody's feedback, like, hey, you know, I'm just kidding with you, right? Like, yeah. I'm not fucking, I'm not serious, you know? Well, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny, like, if you get in a room with a group of comedians, yeah, they're going to just tear each other down. Like, they're going to rip on each other nonstop, and it's hysterical. That's, <laughs> but that's, if you're not a comedian and can't hold your own with those guys, it can be traumatic. Yeah. If you get in a group of scientists, they're going to sit around and debate each other, like, on like they're on fire. Like my 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 father, my sister, my my brother, they're all in cancer research. They're all uh, they're all um, laboratory scientists, and 
when we sit down at dinner, I know my ex-wife just couldn't handle it. Like she was like, your family does nothing but fight. And it was like, no, no, this is entertainment for us. Like we sit around, we have these massive (laughs) debates. We have these massive debates and they get heated and, you know, and it's, it's real interesting, um, growing up with that. But I, I do think that that's the culture of, of gaming today is, is that sort of like, you know, can you get in someone's head to the point where they like rage quit or can you get into their yeah. head to the point of yeah. them screwing up in the game? It's like, a, it's like a, a strategy is what it is. Yeah. It's like talking trash in football or, or whatever. I mean, I, I think almost all sports do this on the, on the field, I, right? I don't know. So, For me, online gaming is, I, 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 I do gaming like RPGs mostly because I like to be engulfed and I like to I don't want to be reminded that I'm in the real world. I don't want to feel like I want to be completely in, in the game. And I remember, you know, like, like playing, what was this, this online Skyrim. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fucking cool. First fucking town I go into, there's some dude dancing in his underwear in the middle of the fucking square. <laughs> I was like, come on, dude, way to fucking just throw me right out of the fucking game. Fuck this. And I'm, really gonna, I'm, not, I'm not playing this. Yeah, I play, I play the... Not for me. <laughs> I play the single player or co-op campaign games. That's pretty much all I do. Yeah. Um, and it's partially, in some ways, like a big part of my career is trying to get AAA animation quality, like a game like God of War, into an online multiplayer game. But to do that, you have to get rid of the cheating like, yeah. aspect. So it has to be co-op play. Yeah, yeah. And so when you get into a co-op online story-driven, uh, you know, game, trying to like get fully immersed in that world. What was world, the like, uh, really that's cool what I one I like that where they wore the masks and you had to, like it was better to play at co-op because you could do more stuff. Years of War or Army of Two? Army of Two. That was a fun fucking, I actually really enjoyed that one. Yeah, that, that was, was one cool. of ours. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, that was EA's. That was just cool all around i mean I, they they got weird and they started changing the characters which i kind of sucked but that I, game was god man i loved that game i my son and i played the first one through so many times that we ended up winning on pistols when he it was his first shooter <laughs> he was finally old enough to do shooting we played through that game that game the first one they had the concept of aggro which did really well yeah uh where you could you what, could what? draw fire basically oh okay. and the entire sort of uh customization was like i'm gonna make myself gold plated with a gold plated ak-47 <laughs> with no silencer <laughs> my son who was 10 at the time would be like super stealth all black no, no, I was <laughs> silenced all pistol ta- tactical mountain <laughs> That's yeah, I was <laughs> right, right. My my, so my son and I could play because I would have to fire like one bullet, and everybody would be starting to shoot at me, and he could just sneak around, like stab people in the head with a knife. But the uh, the the second game came out, and they kind of they they fixed aggro, so it worked one hundred percent. Then they broke weapon customization, and then the third game was just a a disaster because they injected online multiplayer, yeah. and it ruined everything that made that game great. Yeah. Yeah, I play. Uh, I play this game uh, uh, probably too much. It's, it's World of War. It's a tank battle game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, love that game, but you know, but the couple of things I don't do. I don't pay for anything yeah. <laughs> because you know, and I, and I see these guys on there. I'm like, Jesus! I know how you got all that shit you bought. You bought that tank. You bought everything up. I mean, video, video. You can't. Yeah, you mean, can't just pay fifty bucks for a fucking video game or whatever it costs anymore. No. You're paying fifty bucks for the platform, and then you're constantly buying all the other fucking. Well, it's shit either that, that or you it. you would nibble away at it, and you just kind of earn, 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 and you're yeah, able, yeah. That's why I decided to do it the hard way. But but it gets a little frustrating, you know. I mean, uh, you know, as you're playing, and I know that frustration is what drives you there to go ahead and God damn it, I'm buying up that extra ammunition, I'm buying up that weapon, 
I'm buying up of this stuff. The idea it's is to business. frustrate you until you pay. Yeah. But the freemium games, I mean, the thing that's funny is the free-to-play games, they can't just be made for free. No. Right? So no. people get upset about like, oh, you have you have transactions in the game. You do all these microtransactions. Now there's there's a huge difference between the the games that have like uh like vanity stuff like you can buy a new helmet it doesn't really help you yeah. and the games that are that that are pay to win now if it's a single player game where you can pay for accelerators and pay to win fine nobody seems to be pissed about that right like i can pay yeah. 50 bucks and i can get a character i want and i can go run around and have fun in my own little world but i'm not killing other people yeah and then you got like when ea like massively shit to bed with battlefront 2 where they had competitive online then pay to win yeah. And that is the world's worst. It, I mean, like I have a friend who was the animation director there at Dice and um he was uh, we were all super excited. We were at a conference in Sweden. We're super excited about Battlefront 2 coming out cuz all of the internal shit we'd seen was gorgeous. It was just so freaking good. And he was like we were all at this conference about a week before launch and he's like, "Oh, I'm going to be on a boat in the middle of nowhere. I don't want to see a review." And so the idea was like the, the developers knew, like they yeah. knew how bad this was going to be. And it ended up coming out and having a zero on, on Metacritic, oh, shit. a zero. <laughs> That's how, and then they patched it three weeks later, but the damage was done. No, you know? like, Well, I mean, that didn't stop Fortnite from fucking doing it. I mean, you know, like, yeah. like you, I played Fortnite once. I saw, I saw my son plays it all the time, but he doesn't, he doesn't play the battle stuff. He just like, when I left the house, literally when I just left, he was playing Fortnite. You know what he was doing? He was in school with a bunch of other kids and they were just trying to get to each class before the bell rung and they would hang out there and then the next bell would ring and they would go to the next class. And that's what he does in fucking Fortnite. Yeah. Right? Well, that's, you know, Fortnite. So Kim Labrie, who I have known for 20 something years, the CTO of Epic, um, Kim has been involved in, in metaverse. And I mean involved since 1999. This is, this is Facebook's metaverse? No, fucking meta, Jesus. Uh, Did you ever, you saw the interview with Ken Reeves where he was like, can we please not have Facebook invent the metaverse? Yeah, Zuckerberg <laughs> was in diapers when these guys were building the yeah. technology that is currently going to be standing up the metaverse. Like Kim, Kim was, so the, I don't know if you guys have ever know where the metaverse term came from, but it was a book called Snow Crash. And in that book, there's like sort of this online world that's sort of overlaid over the real world. Okay. And yeah. there's an online universe that you go into and all the economy is inside of this online universe. We're talking Matrix kind of? Well, like Player of, One? Ready Player One-ish. Player one. But yeah. I mean, I think the way like John Gaeta, who is another one of those sort of like grandfathers of the metaverse, the way these guys view it is not just, it's, it's not just the world you go into, it's Google Maps thrown out into the world. You know, it's something that simple. Like your Google right. Maps is no longer on your little phone. It's actually like drawing the path you need to go on the streets and all the signs for all the buildings are up, you know, floating in the air. Again, like when in, in I keep going back to this movie all the time. Free Guy. But when Free Guy, when he puts the glasses on, that's, yeah. that's the view of the metaverse that I think oh. a lot of people have, the vision for the metaverse that a lot of people have. Gotcha. I think the, the metaverse itself though, um, you know, in my book, Epic, has, uh, you know, they've pulled in the founder of Giant Studios. Matt Madden is now in there. Um, they're doing virtual production work for film the, the, that made Mandalorian possible. I mean, imagine trying to remove a green screen from that chrome armor. Like, yeah. freaking forget it. The, the, I've never even thought about stuff like that. Yeah. The ability to take game engine tech, and this is, again, like the reason I left film and went into game engine technology. We were, we were working on Last Samurai 
we started using Xboxes to render crowds. And that kind of turned, that sort of piqued EA's interest. They were like, these guys are using Xboxes to do movie shit. Uh, and mm. so they, they brought in uh, myself and a guy that I've now worked with for 22 years, Kevin Noon. Um, Kevin's actually with me uh, building the Microsoft studio here. Um, they brought us in as the film guys to sort of like, because we had recognized that this technology was going to surpass what we could do in film. So today, yeah. today we're doing 90 times a second what used to take us three, four days to render um, back, in, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. So. Wow. Yeah. So the metaverse, I think, is coming. It's going to be a huge. It is going to be a huge thing. I think Facebook has probably set it back five years. Really? Um, by giving I, people the wrong impression. And I'm going to let idea. you guys know right now. You won't see me there at all. I'm just. I'm just going to say that right now. Not because I got I'm like, enough problem with the real universe. I, yeah. Know. Not because I'm like like too cool for it or something like that. I just. I. I can't. I just. I don't have time in my life for a new friend. You know what I mean? Like I just, you know, Dude, like, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't think you, I don't think you've truly lived until you've stepped into a VR world that looks real. Um, I get, I, get a, I get motion sickness, man. I can't do VR. Yeah. Oh, I I'll bet you, I, you come over to my house. I bet you with my HTC Vive Pro, I bet you, you would have no problem. But uh, dude, I, I, I put those things on swing it, around. It starts, I'm like, it starts even getting just close to my face. I get nauseous. I'm like, no, fuck this. Dude, I have a huge problem worst, with nausea. Like the worst Viking ever. The quest, <laughs> the quest makes me pretty sick. Oh, um, and that is probably the second. How do you do on rides at Disney? Like but, star Wars, right? Uh, I'm okay. Um, but the, uh, the, so some of the more advanced stuff, the, so there's something called foveated rendering where it actually tracks your eyeballs and it can high resolution render to the point where you can like read a sheet of paper and it can correct your vision. And, what? and yeah. these Fovi foveated sounds like the stuff that comes out of my mouth when I throw up <laughs> no, no. on those rides, at, on those rides at Disney and stuff like that. There's two people, you know, there's always that one kid throwing up right outside the ride. And then I just mean next to him. <laughs> and we're comparing pukes afterwards. And I get to sweat for like a day afterwards. I'm like, Shut I would up. bet you money that I can throw you into the HTC Vive and you'd be fine. I don't, I don't know if it, I would ever try it just because I hate that feeling. It's the all worst. of the all of the elements that screw you up. All of the elements that screw you up are are latency. It's it's and and lack of a horizon. So yeah. it's like there you go. as long as you've got the horizon and the latency between what you're seeing in your head and how you're moving your head. And the way HTC Vive works is it's actually these like laser grid gets created by these things on the walls and so the the speed at which it's updating the images based on your head movement is is absolutely imperceptible from reality there you go and that's the problem with the 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 ones there the star wars and some of the other ones that they show you a film on the wall and then they shake the little car around yeah they don't match well, that's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, that's what makes me so, throw up. <laughs> my my co-founder of my company, uh, Stan Johnson, who just recently passed away, uh, he built the Mummy ride for Universal. He built the he built the motion based simulators for the Spider Man ride. Uh, they make these huge mistakes. He didn't, but he used to talk about those huge mistakes they make. Is they try to match the camera with the with the, the gimbal, thing. and what they need to be doing is matching your your G force with it. So it's uh -huh. it's actually counterintuitive. Like if you want to be feeling like you're being you're steering to the right. They need to tilt the car to the left so that you get that gravity, uh, the G force of yeah, the gravity, yeah, you know? Yeah, and so yeah. the camera might be dropping, but they need to be, they need to be dropping you and angling you so that you feel your body going back in the seat when you're accelerating, things like that, yeah. where they just don't seem to, a lot of people just don't seem, they, these sort of amateurs who don't understand the physics behind it, try to 
and they get it wrong, and that makes you violently ill. Yeah, and it's not just physics. It's uh, it's the it's how it like you said. It's how you makes you feel internally. your internal gy- the gyro man, yeah. the gyro whatever they call that. Yeah, yeah I get it. Uh, gyro is delicious. Yeah. Oh wait, your inner ears. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, and, and along those lines, uh, Jorge Hewitt. You ever heard? No. no. Okay. Anyway, some guy uh, in the industry. Uh, he was saying, quoted as the essence of a video game is to feel like another person or to be inside uh, worlds that you could never have thought of. And so yeah. with that in mind, um, that seems to be the goal is that escapism and stuff like that. Well, they don't do and, that in movies anymore. Well, well, plus it's, it's not immersive enough. And you get in a video game, you're, you're participating, you're in that world. Yeah. And if that's, I mean, considering the world that we live in today Escapism is going to be more more important all the time. But yeah, do you, do you think about that aspect it's, of it? It's interesting. So, like the the big separation between film and games. Uh, film, you're plugging into your sort of your empathy. You're living you're living sort of a life that's planned out for you through mm. some other some other entity who's learning, and you're observing them learning. You're an observer. There's, you're an observer. It, in so there's a great quote which I repeat over and over again: "Fun is derived from learning a skill or tool that you can apply to improve an existing skill or tool or learn a new one." Mm. And so games have to be about progressively learning or improving at either the skills or the character that you're developing. And that's why you have leveling up. That's why you have weapon unlocks. That's Unless why you're playing you have, God of War. Uh, <laughs> well, with God of War, I mean, again. <laughs> God of yeah. War, then you're just an insane fucker. Either that or what was the uh, Star Wars one? I uh, mean, you're still unlocking combos and figuring things Force out Force Awakens or whatever. Force, Force Unleashed. Force Unleashed was one of my favorite games ever. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I uh, I almost left EA to direct animation on Force Unleashed. I, I still somewhat regret that I didn't take the job. Um, couple brilliant. Basically, people you're playing this game. crazy Force user, and he's like, "I wish they had made a canon because it was so cool." I didn't play the it game, but I watched. My, it was <laughs> such a better. It was such a better gap story than Rogue One. Yeah. Uh, when I when I went to go interview for that job, I ended up in the room with some of the Star Wars creatives. And we were just riffing on ideas for this game, like what you know, what it means to be Vader's secret apprentice, and mm-hmm. and I I threw out the well, obviously the end of the game, you have to be on the Death Star stealing the plans, like that has to be the last level. And yeah. when the game came out, that was the last level, and I was like, yeah, hey, I got my little thing in there. <laughs> I mean, Simon, you're welcome. I know you've thought of that this stuff before as you're watching TV or watching your favorite show or watching Rogue One or whatever like this. Do you see a day when this all melts together when it becomes? television or what we call television now becomes actually interactive somehow. So that's the interesting thing is that, like I said before, they're, they're, they are, you do movies and you play games for two kind of different reasons. Right. They're both a way to meditate. I mean, you know, Western culture, we don't meditate, but we have to, like yeah. our brains force us to. So we just sort of crave these going into what we call like, so as an artist, you probably, you know, this as an artist, you get into something called a flow state. Where you aren't thinking, you're just sort of doing. Yeah, you know, like driving and, almost. Yeah, and driving it is long a, distance. You know, it's a it's a meditative state that lets you problem solve without thinking about it, and yeah. you're using parts of your brain and brain pathways that you're not normally using when you're in that state. Um, video games definitely put people into that state. Films more hypnotize you, so you're not actively in the flow. Um, you watch these pro gamers and they're absolutely in a freaking superhuman flow state. Like they mm. are unbelievable. Yeah. And so like, I think, I don't know if the two technologies will merge. I think storytelling through games is a, is 
the journey of you. So the your own emotional journeys uh-huh. involved in the storytelling. Yeah, it can't and be quite collective, can it? Yeah. The yeah. problem with that is that the challenge, I won't say the problem, the challenge is that to create a compelling story that also gives the player choice and agency and the ability to to inject their own emotions onto the character. There's, that's there's, why I like and, RPGs the best. Yeah, the, the, where you you know they they it's like you know it's choose your own adventure for books. Thomas Sue what the RPG is. They're role playing games. Okay, and and it's, it's, that's why I do tabletop role playing. And that's I mean it, it's like a choose your own adventure book. You know what I mean? To turn a page so and so. If you you know it's it's that's like the base. That's where it kind of all started. You know, and then you have like video games that are just set up where you you choose how you want your player to look. How you want your player to interact with the other, uh, you know, NPCs, the non-player characters, and what kind of person you want to become. You're not. Li- it's not linear. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There's linear and games, and then there's open world RPG games. You know? One of the you know, recently, I don't know if you guys saw this, but recently the uh, uh, there was a an engineer at Google who said that that he believed his AI has has achieved yeah. sentience. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the thing: I, I'm not as terrified as of AI sentience because I don't think they have millions of years of fucked up evolution that makes them terrified of everything they want to murder, you know, and <laughs> kill because they're afraid. Yeah. Um, Good point. So I don't think they have like we have a ton of instincts that aren't necessarily important anymore. They really don't apply anymore, but we still apply them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hence, like half the right wing in our country. Yeah. Um, the um, the idea is that when we have an AI that passes the Turing test, then you could have a game that's as compelling as having a really good dungeon master. And the coolest thing about those AI is they'd be able to tap into every movie ever made yeah. instantly. They can tap into every story ever told instantly with access to the internet. There's no like lag there as they're searching for what to do next. They just sort of already know, whoa, what's a compelling thing to do in this situation? Well, let's find the most popular movie that had a situation like this and we'll try not to be derivative entirely, you know? I mean, but, it's, every movie is, is pretty much the same movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the, well there's seven stories, right? Yeah, exactly. Bill, 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 Maher, Bill Maher was like, you know, talking about that Google thing or something like that. I don't watch him very often, but I did for some reason this time because of the subject matter came up. And, uh, but anyway, he says that talking about the Google thing. So he did, I said, hi, this is, here's the top five things that, you know, uh, when your computer gets to be sentient, right. You know? And of course he says, uh, and he gave all these examples, but the one that was, that was really funny was that he says, when your TV, you know, when your TV set comes on and goes, are you still watching this movie? You know, he wants to know if we want to shut it off or not, right? Are you still watching this movie? Because it really sucks hard. That's when you know. <laughs> That's when you know. You know? So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nothing has demonstrated that kind of, ah, you know, this is fucked up. You should not be watching this. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the um, as, as, sorry, as AI gets into the ability to do storytelling, I do think that, the future of the RPG is is going to be one of the most uh, benefit is going to benefit the most. That's where I'll be. Yeah, from that's that where tech. I'll be well, uh, playing those games. That's where listening to those stories or whatever, interacting with that. Speaking of watching stuff, and I don't mean to change subject here. We're we're, we're getting pretty close, and I want to kind of, especially with you here and three shows that really I thought are awesome right now. One, not so much until the very fucking end was it like fucking great. Um, and I'll start with that one. Kenobi. Did you guys watch Kenobi? No. No? Yeah. Did you watch it? <laughs> yeah. Finally. The, the whole show, you don't need to watch the whole show. You just need to watch the last two fucking I episodes. I couldn't make it. I tried to watch the first one. I'm like, nope. Nope. You just just skip to the last two episodes. All right. And um, 
when he fa- starts finally interacting with Vader and stuff, especially their fight scene that they have. Uh, spoilers. Mm. I mean, at this fucking point, who cares? Um, <laughs> uh, I thought that they did really good finally tying up their little story there. And, you know, you actually feel like now Anakin with that little, because they didn't do that in the prequels. You didn't get the feeling that Anakin's transition into Vader, there was any transition. It was just Anakin, 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 Vader. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Such a shitty yeah, way of doing and, it. And then, and then this, what they did in Kenobi was do, they filled in the blanks with that transition. You really kind of get the sense of that. Second, do you watch Orville? I don't watch Orville. Oh, oh my God. I need you to. You guys need to I watch need, I need to. It is literally. I watched season one and two. I expected it to be uh, Seth, Seth MacFarlane uh, comedy. Yeah. And it just, it started that way, but then it got very serious Star Trek. Season three is, is there's no comedy. It's basically Star Trek. It's, it's Star Trek, but exactly what you want out of Star Trek, especially Ah. after the fucking new Star Treks that have been. Well, have you seen Strange New Worlds? Because that feels very Star Trek to me. And I think Strange New Worlds is great. It's still lame compared to fucking Orville, dude. Yeah, Christopher (laughs) Pike's character and he's kind of a joke. He's kind of too jokey. I'm but around. if your third one's not the boys, I'm going to lose it. The third one is the boys. <laughs> third that one show? is the boys. Oh, I haven't come back to the boys yet. Oh, oh my shit, that last episode. Get <laughs> damn, man. It was... I made my 16-year-old leave the room. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's no way that... Dude, you're under... Yeah, no. Just stop. Get out. Oh, Get my out. God. No, that it, show. So I never even got into this last season. Oh, God, uh, man. The boys... There's the boys. a little too much dick in the last season. I'm oh, not going to no. say. I mean, it, and it's, it's <laughs> there absurd. There's a lot. There's an absurd amount of... Yeah, there is an absurd, absurd amount of penis. Like, finally, <laughs> finally, this last episode shows some fucking boobs. Like, the, the only episode yes, of the whole show that is actually... There's been dick throughout the whole season. Okay, should, but in order like to a, show boobs, they had to show a 15-foot dick. <laughs> Not even that. They had to show a toilet view of a butthole and balls. balls. Oh, no. What was the purpose of that? The thing about the boys. The that. Yeah, exactly. The shock value. In the beginning, they have this. They have a a disclaimer on the the latest episode that says it's not suitable for anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Period. And they were right. And they're spot on. They're like, look, we want to just say this right now. This is not suitable for anyone. (laughs) It's period. (laughs) But spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Uh, Huey's power to teleport leaving his clothing behind. It's fucking hilarious. Especially when he teleports Starlight yeah. and she's <laughs> butt-ass naked too. And you just see their clothes like poof into the air. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. The Boys to me is, is I think, the most important social commentary of any show that's out right now. I, I, like, I, I like the little uh, thing online where the right-wingers are like, wait, Homeland- how, how is Homelander supposed to be the bad guy? <laughs> It's like, if you think mm, that, maybe it you took sustain. you to season three. It took you to Where season three to figure been? this out. Yeah, Holy I know. Shit. It just cracked me up. That article, my wife sent me that article and I was like, she was like, no, it's, it's Forbes. True. It's literally <laughs> no, true. No, you can't tell the difference anymore. I like the one that I'm liking right now. And I know he figures the old man. Yeah. Oh, I watched season one. Yeah. 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 Real quick though, before we go on to the old man, the uh, Star Wars. So I think that the reason the final episode of Kenobi was good was uh, Stockholm Syndrome. I genuinely believe that Star Wars is samurai in space, basically. It always has been. It always has been. It always, I believe, should be about the Jedi Sith stories. And I think what what happened was you have somebody who was a, a massive Han Solo fan who thought Star Wars was about Han Solo, took over the Star Wars franchise. And I seriously think that she has been 
her and Abrams. Abrams is famous for trolling his fans. I think they've been actively trolling Star Wars fans so they can call us toxic. I don't think what they realize is that Star Wars fans and Marvel fans are the exact same people. That Favreau and Filoni did amazing shit with Star Wars, even without bringing in the samurai. I think it was mostly Favreau. I think uh, th- there's no way that show would have been what it was without Favreau. You even watching the Orville, the Orville's best shows are the ones that he was directly involved in. Yeah, the space battles at the towards the end of season two of Orville is some of the best space battles I've ever seen across the All board. Right, I'm told a- I'll start watching Orville across the board. There, it's towards <laughs> yeah. the season, end of season two. There's a space battle, and it is the most epic fucking thing I've ever seen. And of course, I look it up. John Fava was directly involved in See, that. And there- old school, old school uh, uh, Star Wars stuff, right? Star Wars, Star Trek stuff. Uh, some of my favorite stuff was the, the battles. Yeah. The rom, you know, the, yeah. you know, yeah, well, yeah, you know yeah. And then you know what they don't do in Star Trek the anymore? space battles. Fucking trekking. Trekking across <laughs> the galaxy. It's in the fucking title. You're supposed to trek. But that's why Strange New Worlds is so good is that it really Finally is goes, that. Yeah, it goes going, back to the, but it, the heart still, of Star, it's of still Star not, Trek. It's still, that first episode fucking sucked. I watched the second episode. It was better. But Orville is just like, they, they realized, they were like, the reason they went serious with season three, and I think this is just my own personal t- opinion, is because they realized, because there was a lot of dick and fart jokes throughout it with really good stories, though. And then people were like, you know what? Let's just stick with the good stories. Just I, be I Star Trek. Yeah, nobody's, nobody's watching it for the dick and fart jokes. Even Seth MacFarlane in season three hasn't made one fucking, his character is straight up just a captain on a ship. You mean he hasn't sang any? Oh, he's a singer. I, I still he think loves, he loves to put make a musical out of anything. I, I think he, <laughs> even though he dates some of the most hottest girls and in, in in the industry and stuff like that, I still think he's a. Uh, I think I think he's. I think he's 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 swinging on the the. So Mc, who McFarlane? <laughs> Are you talking about McFarlane? Yeah. So There's like, no way that guy's 100% straight. Dude, just I no could way. be related to that guy. Like, we are the exact same age. I mean, we were born within like a month of each other. Really? Uh, we grew up on all of the same toys, all of the same shows, all of the same humor, all of the, like, like you know, Airplane and... I, I, the, yeah, but are you like in the musicals and like yeah, in the song, yeah, song musical theater, dance? all of it, man. I was in musical theater for for a large part of my of my younger days. Uh, luckily, I was also <laughs> doing martial arts and competing at the same time, so I could defend myself I'm against sorry, the assholes. I was just laughing because because I was just thinking the the South Park musical we went to. I just I flashed onto that. What was the <laughs> Oh Jesus! You mean the recent one or the no, the, the bigger the, movie, the, bigger, the, longer, the Mormons, uncut. the Mormon one. Oh, the Book of Mormon! Holy oh, fuck! Oh I would, my god! I was that I just flashed to that. I got chill bumps and I started cracking up at the same time because the horror on the people. I was laughing my ass off the whole <laughs> fucking time. The only person in there laughing. This <laughs> really? whole friggin' theater and everybody. Oh my god! This, well, this is in Fort Myers, Florida. Okay, man. we saw it in New York. So <laughs> yeah, this is Fort Myers, Florida. So everybody in there had this look of horror on their face. People were getting up, and I'm like, "What the? Yeah. What, what did you think this was gonna be about Dude. Mormons? <laughs> the, the, it's it's won nine Tony Awards." Nine, like the the Hasadiga Eboi song, which just means "fuck you, God," yeah. was with the funniest. <laughs> like, oh. I looked over at my father. I, I, we saw it with my stepmother and my father. We invited them to New York with us to see it, and uh, I've never seen him laugh that hard in his entire life. God, he was funny. in tears, and I just loved. I, I loved everything about that play. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing, uh, another Seth MacFarlane thing that I really loved 
was the Western that he did, 100 White Days. I just, you know what? Oh my God, I love that movie. I don't, I don't care if it sucks. I it's love not, that no, movie. No, no, I think it's funny. It's, it's fucking it, hilarious. I think Seth MacFarlane's great. I think he's a great voice actor. I just don't like looking at him. There's no. just something about his fucking face. Yeah, I don't. I, it's when he does that smile and he tries to open his eyes and he's like, yeah, I think he knows it too. I think uh, he, I can't. You know, he's doing better because he's backseating his character a little bit in Orville, and it's mostly about the other characters on on the show. But and he's doing he's he's not doing that face so much, you know, where because he, he tries to open his eyes and they don't really open. And he's just like, yeah, I just don't like it. It's like Seth Rogen. I can't. I, it's funny as Seth. I like hearing Seth Rogen. <laughs> yeah, I like hearing him. Uh, I don't like watching him. Uh, I, I, he just grosses me out. Well, those two guys. Those two guys. Those two guys give us all hope, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, my, my, my personal heroes. Uh, you know, Favreau. I, I saw a documentary oh. on uh, on the making of Iron Man. Now on YouTube, I was I just heard, looking, I heard it's really good. Actually, I, I was looking for. Uh, I saw the making of something, and I was like, oh, I wonder what you know. I wonder if I can find the making of Marvel movies oh, as a full I feature. I like, watch that. there's an hour and a half long making of Iron Man with Favreau, and I, as a director, uh, I have so much respect for for his ability to direct. When you watch that documentary, you can see why his movies are brilliant. He has not only does he have a very solid vision and know what he wants, he is able to communicate with every aspect of production. So he understands the special effects crew yeah. and he talks to them on an equal level. It's not like he's going around demanding things that are impossible. Well, he as understands. A good director, I think you, you need to be able to let your crew work too, without just micromanaging every aspect of them, give them your vision, but also let them employ their own vision or, you it's, know, it's an interesting balancing act being a director because you go, you have to go back and forth between making sure that you, you kind of create the, the best, the best, uh, mentor I had, um, said that you you create a problem that only has the solution that you want as a director and then you give the people who are building it the problem to solve but you you kind of give them a maze where they have to figure out your vision and so that was magical i mean that that mentor was neil rodas jamero who was the an art director and costume designer on the original star wars trilogy um he was one of the most brilliant men i've ever met uh i still I'm just floored that I got to work with him. Well, you um, know, it's funny you say that because that's great management skills for any, any prof just about any profession. And I, I'm in the construction industry, even I've always told people, my superintendents and the foreman and work for me, like that. I said, I said, wait a minute, back up. You know, the demand you're making there, you're making demands of a person who is incapable of doing it. I said, it's not their fault. They're not a bad person. I said, that's your fault now. Yeah. That's your fault. I said, you, you need to have a realistic vision and then you need to have be given the implementation to somebody who can actually fucking do it. Yeah. I think there's a, there is a sort of a cancer in the industry, which is you got these people who don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And so then they hire somebody that knows what they don't know, but then they try to tell that person how to do <coughs> their job. And Start, I think, uh, the, the, the second movie in a trilogy, Rian Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, uh, and I, Kathleen Kennedy, fuck both those people. I, I think they don't know. Like, it is kind of funny when you say like, like you could even go and say, George Lucas doesn't really understand Star Wars. And the, the funny thing is, is like the people who understand Star Wars better than anyone in the world are Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni understands the fandom. He understands Star Wars. He understands. You know what? I'll never forgive him for fucking helicopter lightsabers. So fuck him too. <laughs> 
Yeah. Those were for the freaking the, I don't care the who they Inquisitors. For. They're not as good. They're not they're, fully trained Sith. They're, they don't need to fly around on fucking helicopter lightsabers. It's okay. stupid. Sure. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. You can say that's stupid. I, I do think, though, that Filoni does things like uh, he pulls Drew Carpishan's work into canon. Yeah. Carpishan's my favorite Star Wars writer. Bioware created Knights of the Old Republic, uh, wrote the Bane trilogy, which I still think is the best Star Wars fiction that's ever been written. It is. It is. Um, that Old Republic stuff is is where the Star Wars universe needs to go next as far as canical goes. That's where I, they need to go next, I man. think that's actually where... Um, There's Old Republic, Dad. That, so you got to understand, before the movies... <laughs> this is where Nick explains what the <laughs> fuck they're talking about. <laughs> the, movies, the movies are set like... There's like 80,000 years of Jedi Republic that in that universe or in the galaxy that happened. Like Siths and Jedis have been fighting for like that amount of time. Well, they originated in the same temple. Did yeah. it? They originated, <laughs> well, they originated no, as the no, same books, set. There's okay, video right. games. Yeah. There's, so yeah, this books, is all, video games. Um, you know, some people would say it's fanfare, whatever. I don't care or not fanfare, but fan fiction. Even some of the it's books. Not, that, it's approved fiction. When Kennedy took over, she, so the thing with Carpishan was that Lucas and Kennedy were not big fans of Carpishan because what Carpishan did was he almost made a career out of patching all the stupid plot holes. Eh. So the plot holes created by episode one, two, and three, there were so many things that were just left open to interpretation. Like, like well, when they talk about the virgin birth of Anakin Skywalker and then in episode two, the the uh, Palpatine very clearly states that his master learned how to create life with the Force, and you're like, oh, ding, ding! This is why he's telling Anakin. He's he's the one who made Anakin, and Carpishan then has this whole basically story of how that originated and where it came from and why there's only two Sith. The always two there are Master and Apprentice. Never explained in the live action films ever. Yeah. Carbishan creates this this Sith named Bane who has like who basically wipes out all the other Sith because there was a whole before that theory there was a whole planet of sith yeah i wonder if there's ever been a movie franchise that has ever grown like this i bet sure, nobody sure what, what really well Th the marvel like universe this? has been marvel universe is way bigger than star wars now yeah but that they had a whole yeah they had that, hundreds of that they, was they, a they, comic they, series yeah they had a hundred years of comics before this that was yeah, a george yeah. lucas idea where i think right oh right? that just exploded since yeah, the 70s just, yeah and, well this is a George Lucas and idea based off universe. of Japanese ideas oh, yeah, based off of Westerns. <laughs> well, I mean, everything. <laughs> so they Joseph say, Campbell, this is the thing. You can't, yeah, folklore, yeah. you can't, you can't fault Lucas. I mean, they, they, they teach you that creativity is taking two things that are familiar and putting them together in a way that's super new, right? Yeah. Lucas took samurai, Kurosawa samurai films, and he mixed them with old spaghetti Westerns. Mm -hmm. Perfectly. I mean, it was, perfect, but he also had an amazing group of people building that, that I think around that's the biggest him. Thing. The, the biggest thing, because Star Wars could have very easily been like, like what's the one where the guy with the mustache, Flash Gordon, or any of those cheesy fucking movies that came out around the same time, Battlestar Galactica. It could have been easily one of those cheesy fucking movies, man. But it wasn't because of the people that worked on that film yeah. made it so fucking cool. You had Industrial Light and Magic and yeah. you had some of the best talent on the planet doing brand new tech. And think, of, but I think it's because he stuck to that formula, the hero's journey formula. Yeah. I think it was just tried and true. I mean, I mean, Flash Gordon, all these things, they were all deep, rich stories and everything like this. But that that journey, that little journey that he kind of and he did the first one. It's we it's comically rough. I still love to watch. I, I like to watch love it watching it. Uh, but I think that it's. I think that there's maybe not genius there, 
but it's a good story. Well, you knew it's, it's, that, it's, the, it's the guts of a good story, anyway. That's so. because you knew watching it. There's more going on to this universe. There's there's words that they're saying that I don't know, but there's got meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. When she's when Leia, I mean, she even talks about like when she says, you know, some things to to the you know uh, what's his name the back uh, Tarkin or was it. Governor, Grand Moff Tarkin. Grand Moff, yeah. He was a governor too, wasn't he, or something? I don't know. He was, she was talking to Tarkin, and she was like talking about her lines and his lines, and they would say the lines, and they would look at the director like, what the fuck are we even saying? But there, George Lucas knew what they were saying. <laughs> Lucas's dialogue is is terrible, I think, also. <laughs> oh, like, oh, his yeah. dialogue's really oh, bad. Really and a lot is. of the actors have said, like, it's really hard to say his lines. And and then you have, like, Harrison Ford, who just, like, ad-libbed half the brilliant shit in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I think there's... The, the, there was a magic in the in the technology. There was a magic at ILM. There was a magic mm. there that that never really fully rekindled. I think partially, in my mind, Lucas bought into his own hype. He was the businessman who sold this idea. He wrote the original sort of outline for the idea. He sold it uh, twice, um, and Fox ended up giving him a lot of leeway. They were doing very risky new technology yeah. to make it look real. They and and I honestly believe that the thing that made Star Wars so great was the the sort of the the Jedi Sith thing. It's not science fiction. Star Wars is fantasy, and that's the big that's difference. Exactly what it is, right? It is, Star yeah. Wars is fantasy in space. Yeah. Space Wizards. Star yeah. Trek is real science fiction, there right? You go. So you take Star Wars where you have to get rid of the idea that you can't, you know, like the vacuum of space. Oh no, all we need is this nice little mask we put on from the hospital and I can breathe. <laughs> the physics in Star Wars is, there is it's yeah, a totally different galaxy. So well, I guess they literally no weightlessness in space, <laughs> even when you're climbing on the outside of a spaceship. Like mm-hmm. it, Star Wars is a very, it, it, the physics of the universe is different. Well, you know, uh, fan, fans will explain that there's a, the shields actually encompass a bubble around the ship. And when you go onto the exterior of the ship, you're still in the shield bubble. It so those are the types of things outside of you. <laughs> so going faster than light speed, like the physics of faster than light travel. Is well, see, you know, Carpishan, hyperspace is technically opening a wormhole and they're traveling through so wormholes. that was Carpishan. Carpishan okay, started yeah. explaining in his books and in KOTOR, Carpishan uh, started explaining a lot of the well, major... Well, we hyper nerd. Probably. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I do believe... <laughs> this is nothing. This is skimming the surface of Hypernerd, actually. Whoa. I do believe Taika Watiti is an Old Republic Carpishan fan. If you look at the episodes that he directed of The Mandalorian, he snuck in a lot of Old Republic stuff. Mm-hmm. And so... That was the cool thing, too, about uh, the movie that you... Rogue One, when they had the Hammerhead ship in there. Yeah. That's, that's Old Republic from the video game. Uh, there's this one specific ship. It's a ramming ship in the video game for the the Republic used to use, and it's you know that ship in the movie is thirty thousand years old. Well, right. <laughs> well, before before we wrap up here, tell tell me about how um, you and I had I spoke before a little bit about it, and I found out that you like cosplay and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Tell me tell me how that world we'll call it that world kind of intertwines with the gaming world like that. I mean, it's a good it's it's is it there because of that. Or is it is it just a really good fit and match? Yeah. So the I you know to me it's uh, embracing geekdom, embracing being a nerd. I think that's what made me successful. Um, was the realization that I, I wasn't going to get beaten out of me. But one of the things I love about costuming is that you can be completely anonymous. You go, and I'm a huge troll. My wife always tells me, put Deadpool away when I'm <laughs> sort of trolling people in public. Um, you know, awesome. I'm the kind of guy that would go swimming in a fountain in front of a wedding party at a hotel. Um, so like, to me, it's, um, 
the cosplay aspect of it, it all sort of works together. It's, it's escapism, it's fantasy, it's, it's, um, you know, <laughs> and for our listeners, just kind of describe it, what, what cosplay is. So, yeah. So my, my wife and I build, uh, uh, we build sort of film quality costumes and we wear them to conventions and we go to costume parties where, uh, you know, where we'll take over a, a hotel or we'll take over a nightclub and everyone's there in Star Wars outfits and, um, we go to the castle at Ebor, who has these amazing costume nights: steampunk, vampires. I um, go to those, those guys. Yeah, yeah and now Star these Wars. can be uh, different worlds, right? Just different. I mean, uh, uh, how would you say it? Uh, it can be Star Wars kind of generated or pirate, yeah. pirates. And right? I, cosplay can actually be any. Um, what is it? Uh, a genre, or what would you call it? I mean, no, it's just a. So it's an art form. The thing is about costuming is it's more about the artistry of building the costumes. So uh. when you are at these conventions, it's really about swapping ideas about how to build the costumes, like what materials you're using. You're not you're not pretending to be. I mean, well, some sure, people are. some like, people are. You go there dressed as Deadpool. <laughs> you're going to do Deadpool stuff yeah. and be funny and and try oh, to you, have oh, hilarious you conversations. <laughs> you're going to try to be. Usually, you're just going to be fucking cringingly fucking we, like, ugh, stop, dude, get the fuck away my, from me, bro. <laughs> my crew of friends, uh, my crew of friends, uh, we were dressed up as Mortal Kombat characters and came across the Power Rangers, and I have some of the funniest photos from our fight. <laughs> so it, it, you do get into that stuff with nerddom, but it. The the idea to me is I love the craftsmanship that goes into it, the hobby work. Uh, I've learned leather work and mold making, and I do a lot of work with sculpting of foam. The the to me, it's just another art form, right? It's another way of expressing. I've your always art. done it. I never, I don't go to the conventions, but for Halloween is usually the closest I cosplay. Oh yeah, you guys I've, have always done I've that. Always, yeah, I mean, my wife she does it too. Like we 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 go pretty far when we build our costumes. I I would do cosplay. But, you know, unfortunately, I just, I, there are so many things, not that I'm like better than cosplayers. It's just where you choose to put your time. You know what I mean? And yeah. I have other things that I want to put my time in. I wish I had time to cosplay because I would do it. Yeah. I just don't, you know, because I choose to put my time in other places, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. I, I've, I, I don't take it as far as LARPing, but I have a total respect for the people that do it. I like would LARP. I have no I would, I would problem. straight up fucking go into one of those towns where you can't break character those, those fantasy it, villages. Again, I would it, wear this. It, it, you have to define LARP. Live action role play. Live so like he was play. talking about RPGs. I did um, in, in high school, our Kung Fu teacher, when I was actually competing in martial arts, he put us, he told us to start like sort of looking into other martial arts to practice. I went into HEMA, which is historical European martial arts. So, uh, and that kind of led me into the SCA, the Society for Creative Enactment. That that group is not really LARPing. I mean, they are not. They're living as if they were alive back then. They're trying to be authentic. Their fights are supposed to be authentic. The weapons are supposed to be the real weight. Their armor is supposed to be the real weight. So that's that was a little bit. It's it's touching on LARPing because you do have the guys who get very serious about it and speak in old English. And <laughs> is this is this synonymous at all or, or kind of like um uh what is it they think the civil war reenactors or anything? very similar very similar to, very civil similar war to that yeah, yeah, yeah it's similar. civil war reenactment but their tournaments are beating the ever-loving shit out of each other like i've been knocked unconscious in a in a in a hema fight yeah and they don't shoot each other in the civil war things they do they're just not yet. using right? not yet, <laughs> yet. It's, yet. Coming. It's, it's coming it's coming it's <laughs> coming all right man well that, it, man it's so great to meet you man i'm uh i'm so impressed it's really cool <laughs> it was super i know fun you're to gonna do no you're gonna do good things man i think this is great good things already yeah yeah, I mean, you've yeah, done some yeah really cool games you've released 
I've always been impressed that we know you, uh, to be honest with you. I, like, it's always been really cool every time you come I, I've around. I've been I'm wanting like, to talk with you. I'm not going to start talking about Matrix, you know, but I am afterwards <laughs> because it will be another two hours. Here. The Matrix is really close to my heart. That's it's oh, Lord, I Lord tell of the you, Rings I and Matrix is where I started blown my career. Away. The, and... first, the first, I've got chill bumps again. First time in the theater, we're seeing the Matrix. I'm like... What? No, no. It pop, when he when he wakes up from that egg sack and he like looks around, it pops your fucking mind. Dude. It shit. literally pops your brain. You're like, wait, what the fuck? And it was what? just like they they really, you know. I think that was something that I think really quickly to elaborate on. I I remember I remember watching that in the theater. Ronan or not Ronan uh, Corbin, my oldest son, who's twenty. He's gonna be twenty three or twenty three this year. Um, he was an infant oh, in the movie. Take a look he was, at my he shit his pants, <laughs> and my ex, my ex had to leave the theater with him because he shit his pants and got all everywhere. He's like six, seven months old, and I, I didn't even help them because I'm a son of a bitch. You're like, I, I was like, I was like, I can't. I'm sorry. You're on your own. I gotta. Yeah. I am in this fucking film. Uh, my my first job was uh, I was hired by Rudy Pote, who was the uh, color and lighting director on the original Matrix for the effects. Um, got to work with Kim, who was the which, who which is cool ran the effects company with John Gata. Yeah, when you're in the Matrix, everything was green, right? And then when you're in the real world, it was like a like like a blue color or something like so that. So they they tried to make the real world feel more like actual real yeah, yeah colors, right. but it was dark and, yeah. and dreary, and and then the Matrix world was slightly off. And I think that was the goal was to make the Matrix world slightly off. But yeah. that franchise, it's an interesting one for me too because I think the first movie was absolutely brilliant. And I don't think they've done much. No. Since yeah, that, that last. Has been the la- very I just good. finished the last movie. I there. didn't watch it. Neil's like, don't even waste your time. Eh, well, they had some amazing action sequences, but I think the the problem was is the first film had a really compelling story. The other ones were sort of the action sequences were planned before the script was written. Yeah. Um, and so it got it got off the deep end for me. Um, but it's still like I have so much respect for those guys. Like the the like uh, the, again, Kim Liberi, who's the 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 current CTO at Epic Games. Um, and and Kim is a unbelievable technology visionary. He has been at the forefront of every single major breakthrough in uh, in digital technology. And then he jumped over to games in 2014 um, when he was doing virtual production at Industrial Light and Magic. Got to work with him at EA when he joined us to try to do to try to take our animation and and rendering engine and turn that in. Uh, we weren't really ready for that at EA at the time, so he jumped over to Epic and turned you know. And Mandalorian wouldn't exist without someone like him. Like wow. he he is. Um, I think he is going to be the father of the metaverse. I really do, and it, it's it's awesome to see this guy work. Oh yeah. Well, is there anything that you want to promote or anything before we sign off here, or anything that you'd like to to you know not. Particularly, there's not a whole lot I can talk about about what I'm currently working on. Yeah, um, but uh, you are working on some pretty cool things, though. But, from you, what but I we are. We're working. We're we're working on some cross studio collaboration for animation technology. That's super exciting. Well, will you come um, back in and tell us about it after you get it done? Oh, a hundred percent, man. When we are ready to, when we're ready to show that game, I'd love to come back. Actually, I'd love to come back anytime. We we didn't even get into politics. But no, I, no, I, we didn't. Uh, we uh, oh, <laughs> what what's happening in politics? I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> but but yeah, I think I'm in line with your guys' political point of view as well. So yeah, Simon and I were outside wondering which one of our wives is going to murder somebody first. So you know. Yeah, I I I I don't know, man. My wife won't even go on Facebook right now. She's like, my wife, uh, she won't she won't hardly look at me. She just doesn't want to look at any guys. Yeah. Goes, I said okay. 
Mine was dead cool. silent for I'm, two days, I'm, which for her was a little scary. I'm cool with that. I'm <laughs> yeah. cool with that. I don't blame you. I don't want to look at it. No, fuck. I don't. Anyway. Damn, I'm fucking new to me. Yeah. No, okay. I hear you. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll cross that bridge uh, next issue. Hell yeah. Well, uh, thanks again, Simon, for coming in today. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for being in the studio. It's nice to have people using this studio this, for what it's yeah. used for, you know? So yeah, yeah. It's been used as an art drawing room for the last fucking two months since the last time we did this in live in the studio. So it's nice to yeah. have this going, right? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. The, man, I can't tell you how cool your new tattoo studio is. Thanks, like, man. I appreciate it's it. It's one of the nicest ones I've seen. It's, I, I, you know, I was tattooed here a couple weeks ago. I absolutely love this place. Yeah, it's no, I, I, and we're going to have our grand opening today, too, which is yeah. fun. So that's yeah. fabulous, man. Okay. All right. Our close out, Doc Bartis. Right. See you there. Adios, everybody. Peace.